Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we're beginning the, we're still in Ephesians chapter 5, but we're doing a new series where we're touching on Lord Help Me. And today I'm going to speak to you about marriage. And I have far more to say than you have time to listen, so we're going to have a great time. I want you to see the first slide I have for you. This is a friend of mine, Jim. Jim's 31 years of age. (laughs) Marriage is not stressful at all. But what I wanted you to get out of this first uh, video that I showed you is how important it is to understand your why of marriage. Because marriage, for many of us, is just this horizontal relationship that we're enjoying with our partner. But when we understand God's purpose for marriage, it really does bring the the vertical into it. It brings the why into our relationship. And it does impact our marriage. It does impact our community. It does impact our life. It, It gives us energy, particularly in the times when things are difficult and we really understand our why. It drives us on to reach that which God has called us and enabled us and gifted us and empowered us to reach. His glory. Let me pray with you and then we're going to jump into Genesis. Father, thank you for these precious people that have come out today. As we open your word, we ask that you would speak to us, please. That you would reveal to us the why of marriage, the why of relationships. Uh, Because the way you have worked in our lives, we just pray that you would rip the lid off our knowledge in terms of marriage and help us to see your heart Help us to see your power and your faithfulness. And we pray this in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So what is the the big why of marriage? What is it that makes marriage different to being just a a normal horizontal relationship? I'm sorry to be interfering, but I've got a, a noise there. Can anybody else hear that? Is that me that's doing that? We okay? I'm sorry, that really broke my rhythm. And you know how important rhythm is to me when I'm preaching. Like it's, it's everything, you know. Come with me in your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen for you in Genesis, because here God really does begin to help our understanding of marriage to really, really grow. Just let me take my phone out, because I've got a feeling it might be my phone. Carol knows that I'm going to be speaking about her, so she likes to ring me during the sermon just to say, honey, please don't say that or please don't say this, but it doesn't look like it's that after all. But in Genesis chapter 2, read with me. It'll be up on the screen for you. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Then I want us to jump down to verse 22, and it says, and the rib that God, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is just incredible. We often may believe, to, might be led to think that the world owns marriage, that the world designed marriage. Oftentimes there are surveys and there's stories about marriage from a secular point of view. We, we sometimes might begin to think that maybe the church designed marriage. Maybe it was the Victorian age that designed marriage. But we learn from God's word it was actually God who was the one who designed marriage. He is the one who ordained marriage. Here we see this 
beautiful picture of God creating Adam and Eve. There's a, a Jewish fable that says that Eve was not taken out of Adam's head, that he should, she should rule over him. He was, she was not taken out of his foot, that he would trample her. But she was taken from his side, that she might walk along beside him, that he might embrace her, that he might protect her, and that he would care for her. This is God's first picture of marriage. It was God who designed marriage. What did I just say? It was God who designed marriage. Isn't that beautiful to know? And the picture we have here in the Garden of Eden, having created woman out of man, and God bringing the woman to the man and introducing him or her to him, is actually the first picture of marriage we have. Before all that God had created, before all the angelic beings, this is the first marriage ceremony that is the oldest ceremony in the entire world. God is the one who designed marriage. And God designed marriage not just to meet our horizontal needs so that we can meet a really gorgeous girl or a really handsome guy, so that we can enjoy each other's company, so that we can spend each other's money, so that we can fight with each other, so that we can have kids and bring them into that misery. That's not what God designed marriage for. God designed marriage to be something very, very different. God designed marriage to reflect his covenant, faithful heart towards humanity. Our God is, by nature, a covenant-keeping God. When God says, I will do this, God does what he says he will do. And he designed marriage and relationships in Christ to reflect his covenant heart. I want you to jump down with me as we move along. We move from the Garden of Eden here and we move to Abram and we move to the beginning of the nation of Israel where God calls Abram out of his land and says I want you to come out of that land I will bless you Genesis chapter 12 and I'll bless those who bless you and I will make your children as numerous as the sands on the sea and God made promises to Abraham and this is the, basically the day that they seal those promises they make an arrangement to seal those promises so Abram has as God commanded him to He's prepared the sacrifice and the idea was that God would appear at a certain time and Abraham and God would make an agreement together. Abraham would agree to be faithful and God would agree to fulfill the promises that he made to him. That sounds, that's an agreement. We understand that, don't we? A covenant. But have a look what happens. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, a representation of the holiness of God. And the power of God passed between these pieces, passed between the sacrifices that Abram had laid out. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I will give you this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates. And as we read on in this text, we find out that Abraham was actually asleep. Not because he was, had a habit of sleeping at important occasions, but actually the Lord God had purposely brought a sleep upon him that Abram could not resist and he put him to sleep. And when Abram had fallen asleep and the sun had gone down, God appeared as this beautiful smoking flax or this, as it is described here and passed between those pieces. The sun had gone down, there was a smoking fire and a flaming torch. What was God doing God was saying to you and I today, and indeed to Abraham, I will make an agreement to bless you, but that agreement to bless you will be upon my faithfulness. 
It'll be upon my ability to make that happen. I will give you the land. I will bless your descendants. I'll bless those who bless you because I am a faithful God and I have said I will do it, so I will do it. And it was not dependent upon Abram. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. And doesn't then God give us a fresh picture of marriage? Marriage, the why of marriage, is not so that we can just have children and enjoy ourselves. Those are beautiful things. But God rips the lid off marriage and says that marriage is not one-dimensional. Marriage is to reflect the covenant heart of God. So that in this union that God has brought you into, you can show the faithfulness and the long-suffering and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of God. This is what marriage was designed for. You have been called to a holy calling. Your marriage is not just this horizontal relationship. Your marriage has a vertical dimension to it where we reflect the glory of God to one another, to our community, and indeed even to the angelic hosts that look in and marvel at what God has done in our midst. Marriage is much bigger than what you may have realized it is. And what an awesome gift that God has called us into that. Have a look at this cute little picture that I've got to show you. I hope you can read that. It says that covenant love says, I do even when you don't, and I will even when you won't. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. Our God has agreed to bless us. Our God has agreed to walk with us. Our God has agreed to redeem us. Our God has agreed to be faithful and secure and trustworthy before us. Our God has agreed to write his laws on our heart. Our God has promised us that he will indwell us and make us his children. Our God has said that he will prepare a home for us in heaven and he will do it and has done it. Because our God is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. And we get the privilege of being able to express that in the relationship of marriage. We get to express that in the relationship of just being brothers and sisters. And I'll explain that in the second hour that we have together. Hosea chapter 2. We learn a bit more about the covenant-keeping God. We've moved a bit further on in time. The nation of Israel have been living before God. But they have been very, very unfaithful to God. Rather than putting God first in their lives and worshipping him alone, they've begun to worship other gods. And they have adopted the, the worship attitude of these other gods where there are temporal prostitutes and children being sacrificed and the behavior was vile and wicked. And in the midst of this, God spoke to Hosea and said, I want you to be an example to the nation of Israel. I want you to show them how they behave before me. So I want you to take for yourself a wife. And we don't know whether Gomer, his wife, was actually a temple prostitute. Some suggest she was. But certainly the inference is that Gomer would not be faithful to Hosea. But Hosea would be faithful to her. He took Gomer as his wife. And the story goes that not very long she had left the marriage bed. She had left their home. And she was living with another man or with other men. Such was the faithfulness of Gomer as he went before the Lord and said, what should I do? That Gomer ended up giving these men money. Without, sorry, uh, Hosea began to give these other men money. And Gomer was not aware of that. He would go around behind her and make sure that she was provided for. And hasn't God done that for the nation of Israel? As they slept with other people, they worshipped other gods, they behaved before him in ways that we shouldn't even speak about. 
Thank goodness we're not like that. As we have worshipped other gods, as we have misused our money, as we have abused one another, as we've meditated upon vile things, as we've struggled to walk before the Lord, and yet he's brought the sun up in the morning and he's brought up the moon in the evening. He brought the seasons for us. He's provided us money and he's provided us clothing and food and he has been ever merciful to us. Has he not? When we deserve to be squash like bugs. And yet our God is a covenant-keeping God. He said, I will bless you. I will bless you. And we have the privilege in marriage of being able to relive that. I love this passage. Read just along with me, not out loud, but he says in Hosea, this is God's heart for the nation of Israel. This is God's heart for you. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Has he not done that for us in the Lord Jesus Christ? Didn't he give the Lord Jesus Christ in our place? He suffered our punishment so that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we could become the bride of Christ. Hasn't he bound himself to us forever? Hasn't he promised never to leave us nor forsake us? Hasn't he always, noon and night, has he not been faithful to us? This is our covenant-keeping God, and we get the privilege of being able to reflect this relationship in our marriage relationships and in our covenant relationships with one another. It's amazing how God has taken what we have often despised, the institution of marriage, and God rips the lid off it and says, actually, it's really glorious. It's really glorious. The world has dumbed it down and abused it, but I have designed it to reflect my glory. We jump forward in God's word. God's relationship with the nation of Israel was as a husband to a wife, and then we jump into the New Testament, and we see that God's relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ to his church was as a husband and wife. This relationship of marriage is, is no afterthought. God has continued because God is a covenant-keeping God. And, he, and in that reality that when he does something once, he does it again. And he's showing us the privilege of marriage in the New Testament. And here I've chosen to use the message, which is not a, a literal commentary of uh, God's word, but uh, a literal translation rather. It's more of a commentary. But I think it expresses beautifully this passage, which has often been abused. There are those who are very conservative within the church family who have taken Ephesians chapter 5 and used it to whip and harm people when actually it was meant to liberate and bless and show the heart of God. And it says in verse 21, Out of respect for Christ, be courteous and reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husband in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So as the church submits to Christ and he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, I love this, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. And love marked by giving, not getting. Christ loves makes the church whole. His words invoke beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They, they're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Does that 
describe your marriage? Does that describe the way you think about your relationship with those that God has put you in relationship with? It's beautifully expressed in this small diagram that I have for you up on the screen. A good marriage isn't something you find. It's something you make and you keep on making it. Carol and I have been married for a reasonable period of time now and we are not in neutral going down a slope on Easy Street and we just do it like that. Carol and I work at our marriage. We pray together, not as much as we should. We sit on the couch together. We've got a tiny little two-story place. and I mean tiny, but it's beautiful. And we don't have a TV downstairs. So when we sit downstairs, we don't have any interruption and we sit on the couch and we talk about our day. When we're out walking together, we hold hands. When we get time together, we, we eat together, we pray together, we read together, we talk about what sort of a marriage we want together. Carol and I work at our marriage because I'm just like you and you're just like me. That if we try to do it in remote control, we are going to end up in all sorts of trouble. A good marriage is not something you find under a rock. A good marriage is a gift from God and God expects us to tend to that and to nurture that and to care for that. Marriage is a wonderful gift God has given us to reveal his covenant love towards humanity. What an honor. Amen? Amen. Don't you see that that's the why? That's the why. We've got a fair idea how to do marriage to some extent, even though we don't do a really great job all the time, and I'm, I'm, that's part of my life too. But when I stop and remember for a moment, and I look into heaven and I thank you, God, thank you that marriage is bigger than me. Thank you that marriage is not just horizontal. Thank you that marriage is a divine institution given by you to reflect your covenant love and your faithfulness and your righteousness. Thank you for allowing that to be part of my life. Those of you here today that aren't in that relationship, you are a brother and sister in the Lord. We express the same divine relationship as we work with one another, as we pray with one another, as we enjoy each other's friendship. Covenant love. I'd like to show you a diagram in the moments that we've got left together. I'm hoping, I'm hoping my arrows have turned up. We'll see. But if I was to condense the role of a husband, the role of a man the role of any male within marriage or within our community, God calls it like this. You are meant to be a lover and a leader. And all the guys puff their chest out and say, man, I am an awesome lover. I am like stud muffin number one. When I walk in the room, my muscles are rippling and my wife goes weak at the knees. She is so lucky to have me. Well, that's not what it means. I hope you weren't thinking that. What this means, we should combine them together. It means that he is actually a loving leader. We read in God's word that husbands are to love their wives with understanding. What God is saying is here, men, you don't actually do this very well and you've actually got to stop and think about it. You've actually got to study your wife and understand what makes her tick. Understand what her weaknesses are, men. And when you find what her weaknesses are, because somebody that's in that closer relationship with you will normally share what their weaknesses are, it is not an opportunity for you to expose her or to humiliate her, or to remind her. It's an opportunity for you to demonstrate loving leadership by getting in around her and protecting her and nurturing her. Being a loving leader means that when you find out what the strengths that your wife has, you put as much air into her sails as you possibly can, that she goes as far as she can with the gifts that God has given to her. 
You expend your life in serving her and promoting her and building her up just the same way that Christ has done for the church. Like, wake up. When God says that you ought to love your wife as Christ loved the church, like, what don't you understand about that? The church came into being, how? By Christ dying on the cross. And on the third day, he rose again. He gave everything for the church and still does. And so should we. That's another sermon. Men, we be, need to be loving leaders. Wives, if I was to condense what uh, the Word of God says for you and your role, and I've taken, out the word, uh, I've taken out the word submissive because it's been so abused in our community today, and I've used the word responsive. You are to be a responsive, respectful partner in the relationship. Seeking to, same as with your husband, seeking to be able to find out those things where he is weak and you protect him and care for him. When he leads in the way that God has called him to leave, you respond to that and you feel his sails full as much wind as you possibly can and you encourage him in his leadership and build him up. This is the real one of respect is a chink that I think I do have in my life. I think every man does. We just... We thrill when our wives show us respect. And yet I, my marriage has been full of times where I've broken any chance for respect. I feel like I, I, I've done so many things to hurt Carol and, and knock her down and fearful that one day she would not respect me anymore. But she has shown and a secret that I'll show you in a moment. But how beautiful it is when you get respect, shown respect. We were in bed a little while ago probably only about um, <laughs> some time ago, and Carol um, came up behind me and held me, and she said, I just want to thank you for working as hard as you do and providing for our family like you do. And uh, that took me off guard because Carol works as hard as I do, but it made me feel like a million bucks. And so I tested her. I said, how much are you thankful? Like, was bacon and eggs thankful, or were we just talking like cuddle thankful? How, how thankful are we here, really? No, it made me feel just awesome. So important that you work at your marriages because they don't just happen. You have to work at them. You have to work at them. Now, if my arrows have returned, and I, there's a gentleman here today I owe this diagram to. I learnt this diagram 25, 6 years ago in Bible college. So, but I want you to see that when, husbands, you're a loving leader, when you love your wife, she finds it very easy to be respectful. When you lead in the home, if we move to the next slide, if the arrow turns up, she finds it very, very easy to respond to you. And these cross back and forth. As a wife, if you show that you are responsive to your husband, he finds it very easy to lead. When you show him respect, it just builds his affection for you and he finds it very, very easy to love you. But what happens, girls, if you're married to the dumb as the post guy in the room? He's as thick as a brick. He's hopeless at leading. He's hopeless at loving. He's just dumb. I don't know what happened. You, you, you fell in love with him, you thought he was awesome, and then you found out he was a dud. Okay, But it's too late. So you go to God and you say, look, I would have been submissive or I would have been responsive and respectful, but my husband, he's just as thick as a brick. Husbands, what about if you marry a girl who is really tough to be married to? 
I've had guys come in my office over the years when I've been pastoring the previous church and say, man, my wife's tough. I mean, she's better at this than me and she's better at that than me and she does this and she does that and everything else. And I can't help but smiling. I'm thinking all the way along, thank you, God, that you've given him that woman. That's just exactly what he needs. But you can't stand before God and say, God, she wasn't very responsive. She wasn't very respectful. And had she been those things, then I would have been the best loving leader in town. Because here's the secret. Have a look at this next part of the slide. Husbands, your relationship with your wife has nothing to do with you being a loving leader. It doesn't matter what she does. God has given you the ability to look under him and have the faith that you need to have to be that loving leader. You do not get your loving leadership from looking at your wife. You get your loving leadership from looking at the covenant-making God who has demonstrated to you from before time itself what it is to love unconditionally. Do you get that? And when you get to heaven and you're complaining about your wife, God's not going to be overly impressed because that's not what it's about. What it's about is you as a husband looking under the Lord and living the life that he's called you to live and then being able to provide for your wife. Wives, if you get to heaven and say, God, like, why did you give me him? He's hopeless. The same again is true for you, girls. And I, my heart goes out to you. The only way that your marriage is going to work and that you're going to survive is to have faith in God and to look under the covenant-keeping God who through the Holy Spirit will enable you to live before your husband with grace and with a responsive heart and with a respectful attitude. And God is glorified in that. God is glorified. That's the end game. That's the purpose. That's the why. God is glorified. It's not about having your needs met. It's about glorifying the living God. And worshipping him. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32 says this. This mystery is profound. This is the, the closing part of that segment in Ephesians 5. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And this profound mystery, which it was to those at this time, but we understand to some extent a little bit more of that mystery. There will be certainly a, a revelation when we go to heaven to understand the depths of God's relationship with the church through the Lord Jesus Christ and how through indwelling believers like us, God has built the church. And we will learn much more about that. But no, no mistake, I think that the inference in, is here that the marriage relationship is impossible unless we are living in the power of the gospel. Unless we are applying the grace of the gospel. Unless we are applying the reality that God has forgiven us of our sins and now has through the indwelling spirit given us the power to forgive others. Isn't that, that just rocks. That just, that's amazing. This, the gospel, God's forgiveness to us. That we can receive God's grace and we have done nothing for it. That he has given that for us. Fulfilling and lasting marriage that glorifies God by reflecting his covenant heart is only possible because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Prior to that time, we had no indwelling Holy Spirit. We had no capacity to serve others more than we serve ourselves. We were bound in our sin. We were bound in our selfishness. And the only person we were interested in caring for was us. And now that Jesus Christ has demonstrated God's love in dying for us, even when we didn't know him, even when we were in our sins, 
has not only given us an illustration of how we should live, but through the indwelling spirit, the power to live that way. I can now choose to deny myself and serve my wife. I can now choose to deny myself and serve my brother. I can now choose to deny myself and serve my sister. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that awesome? The day-to-day strength needed to enjoy a marriage that exalts the covenant heart of God is only possible through the gospel. I have been forgiven of my sin. And I have not only been forgiven, but I have been indwelt with the Spirit of God. And thereby I have the strength to forgive those who have sinned against me. I now have been forgiven by God and I've been indwelt by the Spirit and I now have the ability to serve others before I serve myself as God has served me. Isn't that, that's just beautiful, isn't it? And there's no limit on this. There's no, you can't wear it out. As we grow in our awe for the wonderful grace of God that's reflected the covenant heart of God, we get to enjoy that within the bounds of marriage. Lord, Please help me. Would you pray with me? If this is your prayer, you pray along with me. Lord, please help me. Please help me to be that man, to be that person where I prefer the needs of others before my own. Please help me to be a person who reflects your covenant heart where you have blessed me unconditionally. You have poured out your grace upon me. As I minister and as I care and as I walk amongst others and as I love my wife, let that covenant heart of God be my expression in the way that I speak, in the way that I care and in the way that I cherish my family. God, please help me. Lord, help me. I thank you for your great grace and I thank you for your indwelling spirit and your enabling this day. Thank you for the honour of being married. Thank you that you have made it much more than just this fleshly, horizontal relationship. You have given it this beautiful, vertical, eternal honour that gets to reflect your glory. And I say thank you in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.